Well, as I mentioned in the opener, the Reserve Bank has again lifted interest rates. Tenth meeting in a row, the official cash rate now at a 10-year high, increasing by 25 basis points to sit at 3.6%. It was another decision that mortgage holders probably expected but have also feared, despite a few key economic indicators showing signs that our economy is slowing down. This was highlighted in the notes by RBA Governor Lowe, Philip Lowe, as he made it clear that the signs of a slowdown within the national accounts and household consumption wasn't enough to change the course just yet. And whilst the signal was you know, technically hawkish from his February statement, where he said the high inflation were to become entrenched in people's expectations, it would be very costly to reduce later, involving even higher interest rates and a larger rise in unemployment. So the RBA is going to act more, but the question is when. The notes today may have given us a little bit of a clue. The board expects, and I quote this, sorry, the board expects that further tightening of monetary policy will be needed. In assessing when and how much further interest rates need to increase, the board will be paying close attention to developments in the global economy. So an April rate rise is not set in stone. And as the news broke, Parliament, in Parliament, Treasurer Jim Chalmers once again said, stuck into the messaging, this is what he said at 2.31 today. The government's job is to take responsibility for those things where, that we have an influence over. Australians understand that a lot of this inflation is coming at us from around the world and they understand that broken supply chains here in Australia have been part of the problem as well. And so we take responsibility for working through this inflation issue in a responsible and a methodical way to address inflation in the ways that we can. But what does that really mean? If you're sitting on a variable loan of half a million dollars, the monthly increase in interest payments since May 2022 is $983. That's right. Since the increase in interest rates from May last year, you have to pay an extra $983. For a $750,000 mortgage, the increase, that's right, the increase, we're not paying down principal here, where you're paying down interest, is around $1,474 a month that you'll have to pay in March 2023 since May. And for those with a million dollars of debt, well, that's around $2,000 a month just for this month to meet their interest repayments. 131873, I'd be staggered if people have had a $2,000 per month pay rise since May 2022. But our regular partner in crime to dissect all the monthly moves on the Reserve Bank is Shane Oliver, Chief Economist with AMP Capital, and I'm delighted to have him back on the show. Shane, good to talk to you again. Good to talk to you, Scott. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Shane, firstly, the decision today. It wasn't a surprise to you and it wasn't a surprise to me. But some of the messaging from the Reserve Bank in February did change its tone today about future rate rises. What was your take on that? That, that messaging certainly did change. If you go back to the February post-meeting statement and all the other commentary from the Reserve Bank ever since, it, it was quite hawkish in the sense that they were clearly very concerned about inflation after the December quarter numbers and, of course, very worried about a wages breakout and clearly signalling more interest rate increases ahead with the emphasis there on plural. Whereas today's statement, I guess, paid more attention to the economic data we've had in the last month or so, which has seen a slowing in GDP growth, um, some signs of weakness in the labour market starting to emerge, uh, weaker than expected wages numbers, and so consequently, it's changed its tone a little bit. It doesn't read anywhere near as hawkish. They're still hawkish, but it doesn't read anywhere near as hawkish as what we saw back in uh, a month ago. And of course, the, uh, the telltale was at the end of the statement where you partly pointed out 
Um, there's a bit of a question mark. The reference to when they raise interest rates again puts a question mark as to whether they'll raise rates in April. I actually think it opens the door to a pause. And they also signal that, that, that they expect to tighten monetary policy further, but they don't use the plural. They, it could well be just one more tightening. Uh, so all of those things, I guess, have made me a little less um, concerned that they're going to over-tighten here and that we may be closer to the top in interest rates than might have been thought, say, a month ago. I think a lot of mortgage holders will take some comfort in that, Shane, because I actually agree with you that the word pause is something that was in the commentary today, that I think April they might take a breather. The, con- the concern that I have is that when the government sits for the May budget, they're going to see a number of people under financial pressure and the next interest rate rise could potentially be May. Is that when you think there could be the next hike or do you think we've seen the last of them today? Well, to be honest with you, I'm hopeful we've seen the last of them. I think as time goes by, we'll see more evidence uh, that those 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 uh, hits to personal spending power that people will have with mortgages I mean, they're big hits. You know, $1,400 for someone with a $1 million mortgage, um, you know, whether it's, you know, whatever it is, whichever way you cut it, you can multiply them out. The annual hit um, is huge. personal spending power is huge. I did a calculation on a $600,000 loan, which I th- apparently is the average, and it's uh, so far we're up to $14,500 per annum in extra payments. After tax. Uh, compared after tax, and that means you, you, to get a pre-tax wage rise to cover that, you need 25000 That's right, like that. No one's getting that. So th- th- this is going to be a huge hit to spending power in the economy. I think it was masked last year because of the uh, you know, everyone being happy to be released from the, the lockdowns. You know, we had all this pent-up demand. People had saved up a bit of money, hadn't gone on the holidays. We then had the revenge spending, the revenge travel, and that masked the weakness um, I, I think the problem now is that people are starting to wake up, those with a mortgage, and seeing the huge hit to their spending power, and that's going to be a real drag on the economy. And perhaps we're now starting to see that in the economic data. The retail sales have now been flat, very volatile month to month, but they've been unchanged from where they were in September. Uh, we, we've seen the national accounts show that the economy would have gone backwards in the December quarter, were it not for the boost from uh, from international trade. So all these things, I think, are starting to tell us that, you know, they should be slowing down. They should be a bit more cautious. Um, a lot of people are going to really hurt out there. I know there's a lot of other people, older Australians, they've got a big uh, savings buffer, but they're not the people who change their spending that much. It's the 25 to 45-year-olds out there in the suburbs or sometimes in the gentrified inner city areas and what have you, wherever they can get into they're the ones most at risk here, and they're the ones who, unfortunately, um, be cutting back their spending, and that's going to really hit, hit the economy. Shane, in some of the, the, the financial chat rooms this afternoon, there's conversations about whether it's better to go into recession or to kill inflation. Can you explain the difference, and what are your thoughts? Well, it, it's a difficult one, um, and it's a difficult trade-off. Uh, we don't want to let inflation get out of hand like we saw in the 1970s, and ultimately, it took a horrific recession. We had two of them, in fact, in the early 80s and then the early 90s to squeeze inflation out of the system. And then we've benefited from that ever since. Uh, but I, I don't think we're at that point yet. I, I think this is more like 1970. It's not like 1980 or 1990. Uh, the inflation breakout has only been in the last year or 18 months. Uh, we don't have what you call inflation psychology entrenched into the system 
workers aren't demanding. I know a lot of people talk about it. They want an 8% wage rise to cover inflation, but I, I don't see that coming through in the numbers on wages. Therefore, the situation today is radically different to the, back then. So I, I think, yes, the Reserve Bank is right to slow things down to signal that they are serious, but I don't think they need to knock us into recession um, to get inflation back under control. But I agree with the Reserve. If you let it get out of control, we have a wages breakout and wage price spiral. Yes. Uh, you know, we will be back to the 1970s, but I think we're a long way from that. If you look at the wage growth numbers, they're, they're consistent with inflation and the 2 to 3% inflation zone, not consistent with the wages breakout. Uh, so I, I think they can afford to sort of be a bit more relaxed here. Um, otherwise, if we do go into recession, I think it'll be a recession we don't need to have, unlike uh, Paul Keating's Paul famous quote from the early 90s. No, that's but, right. Uh, that, that's, it's a difficult trade-off. Um, ultimately, we don't want to go back to the 70s and 80s, high inflation. It was bad for everybody. Um, but I think we're a long way from that. I, I think uh, they can afford to take it a bit more gently going forward. Shane, we've had an uh, email from a listener in Cronulla, uh, and the quote is, I'm so sick of hearing about the 90% interest rates that we had in the 90s. Things are so different now. Every generation has its issues. I have friends that are struggling to put food on the table for themselves and their family. Why isn't the government stepping in to help with inflation? So, any clues for that listener as to what the government may do in potentially in May? Well, firstly, he, that listener raises a valid point. You know, I hate it when people of my generation say, well... To younger people, oh, you've never had it so good. You know, you got interest rates down there at two or three yes. percent for a while, and now they're still only six percent. We had to pay seven, eight percent in the yes. days back then. I mean, that's pure <laughs> nonsense. It's true technically, but the amount of money you had to borrow to get into a property was a fraction of what it is. Ten times less. Ratio. That's right. Yeah. yeah, the ratio of household debt to income is multiples of what it was back then. Uh, a seven, eight percent mortgage rate back in 1989 is probably equivalent to a six percent or 5.5% mortgage rate today. So um, there is a big difference there. Uh, the thing is, I, I think in an ideal world, the government should be playing a bigger role here. Uh, they can spread the load more more easily. Rather than pick on the, the 30% of households that have a mortgage, yes. which is the current situation with raising interest rates, there must be a fairer way to do it. And that would involve, well, if, spend, if spending in the economy is too high, putting a bit of a tax levy on everybody else with the commitment that it will be cut once inflation comes back down again and people stop spending as much and, and do things which spread the load, take some spending power away from all of us rather than just those with a mortgage. The problem with that is that governments can't be relied on <laughs> to do that sort of no. thing. Uh, they've shown in the past when, we, when, they, when the responsibility was in their hands, that they didn't do it because they don't get votes from raising, uh, raising tax rates. That's on everybody. right. So, Really, all that's left for them to do is to sort of fine-tune things a little bit, to cut back spending where they can, which, of course, the government's talking about doing. But I think the bigger thing they need to do is make sure that the economy is operating as efficiently as possible. Um, you know, make the, uh, the supply of drugs and, you know, when you go to the doctor, find ways to get the cost done. We don't all have to go to the doctor to get everything done. Why can't we go to the chemist to get some things done? You know, free things up a little bit. Well, they give the flu um, jab, so, you know, that's a start. Well, that's right, they did the flu. That's where I got my final Moderna jab, <laughs> uh, whatever it was, uh, middle of last year. It was down in the local chemist. They were perfectly fine in doing that. We don't need to overload the uh, the doctors, and that's just overloading the medical the, the hospital system, which is just all adding to cost. But there's things there that government can do to to free up the system um, and make it make things flow more more 
cheaply, I guess, you know, the supply side of the economy. That's what Hawke and Keating did back in the uh, the 80s. And, of course, uh, Howard and Costello did a bit of that as well. Look at ways to make the economy operate more efficiently. Problem is, that's a long-term story. It takes time to pay off. In the meantime, unfortunately, we're left relying on the, on the poor old Reserve Bank. Shane Oliver, Chief Economist at AMP Capital. So grateful to have you on the first Tuesday in March. Thank you so much for joining me this evening on Money News. Thanks, Scott. It's been my pleasure.